good in that regard. Um, well, let's. Um, excited to be able to open God's Word uh, with you this morning as we uh, continue our way in our series in the book of Colossians that we are calling uh, Christ is Enough, or have called, because this will be our final sermon um, in the book of Colossians. And and as we've seen, as we've moved through the book of Colossians, Paul seems to be countering some sort of false teaching that's going on in the Colossian church. Uh, these people that are they're teaching like there's this higher level somehow of knowledge that you need to get to, that somehow you need something more than Jesus, that Jesus isn't quite enough, and there's some things that needed to be added to him. And what has Paul resoundingly said? He said that Jesus is enough. Jesus is sufficient. You don't need to move beyond him. And he spends the first part of the letter reminding us of that, reminding us that, that our identity is found in Christ, in our union with him. And then as Paul often does, see, often in his letters, he, he begins by reminding whoever he's writing of, of the gospel and pointing them back again to the good news. And then, as we saw in chapter 3, he began to tell us, okay, what does this mean for your life? What does this mean for your walk? How do you actually grow as a result of this? And as we saw last week, he also talked about how this new identity that we have in Christ, how it changes our relationships, how it should affect the, the way we relate um, to others. And as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to see as, as we finish out uh, chapter 4, that, that Paul is going to address now how it is that we should act towards outsiders, to those outside of the bounds of the church, to, to unbelievers. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. So let's look there now, Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychus will tell you all about my activities. He is our beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Damas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. 
And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Would you now make it come alive, um, alive ultimately in our hearts, we pray, that you would, uh, through the preaching of your word this morning, to stir, stir up all of our hearts, um, the preacher, uh, the foremost, uh, that we would all be drawn um, nearer to you because of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, many, most of you have probably heard of that sermon, uh, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, very famous sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards many years ago. It's made its way even to English textbooks that are read in colleges and whatnot. It's a, a very famous sermon, and, and I, I don't want to talk about the content of it this morning, but I did want to talk for just a moment about the effect of it. Um, it was very interesting, and maybe you've heard some of the effect of it, that um, whenever 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 he, Jonathan Edwards preached this um, in Enfield, um, he, he, he preached it to people like responding and responding very audibly. People were very stirred up by the sermon that he preached, even to the point of, of some people screaming. Um, that that joy, people were joyfully uh, weeping uh, because of the gospel being preached by Jonathan Edwards on that day. And so you, you want to think about that for a moment and think, why and how did people respond the way that they did? Okay, well, Why did they respond in such a big way? And, and you begin to think, well, it must have something to do with Jonathan Edwards' presentation, right? He must have really worked on it really well. He really worked on the words and, and everything came out eloquently and therefore the people were stirred. But that's not the case. Jonathan Edwards had preached almost the exact same sermon just a couple of weeks prior to his own congregation and to little fanfare, to little response. Maybe they gave the kind of, oh, that was a fine sermon, pastor. Um, but there was none of the emotional response that took place, that extreme response that took place in Enfield when he preached it. So what was going on? What was the difference? And I think Jonathan Edwards actually nails that difference uh, very well because he was a part of that great awakening. He was part of that revival that was going on. And, and this is what he had, had to say about why it was taking place and where, why it took place, where it did, when it did. He says, the Spirit of God does the work. And he blows where he wills. The Spirit of God does the work. He blows where he wills. And so what Jonathan Edwards would have said about that sermon, the reason that it was different wasn't him. The reason was Holy Spirit in his work at that moment in that congregation when he was preaching that sermon. It was because someone, maybe multiple people, were praying that doors would be opened, that the gospel would go forth, and that's precisely what took place on that day. And so as, as we look at, as we close up Colossians, what I want us to see first this morning is how you and I are called to pray that doors would be opened, that doors would be opened much as they were opened on that day for Jonathan Edwards as he preached that sermon that, that we are called to do that, and that's what Paul is calling us to do as he talks to us about prayer. First, he talks about prayer generally. 
He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Really, be devoted in prayer. Be a a person devoted to praying. Um, Does that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Elsewhere, he says for us to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does that mean we pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Is that what that looks like? I, I don't think that's what he's intending. What he's intending is that you and I be people who are devoted to prayer, that, that we don't just you know, pray during that time we have set aside in the mornings or in the evenings when we actually do that, but that we are a people who find ourselves praying throughout the day. Moving in and out of prayer, it, it, it becomes natural. It becomes part of our language It should be a constant part of our life, not just a part that's segmented off over here that we just do in these particular moments. Now, here's the problem. Whenever you hear a sermon on prayer, inevitably you feel guilty. I feel guilty even preaching it. Why? Because we begin to feel guilt and shame because we don't pray enough. And we're going to be talking, and we're talking about prayer this morning, and we're also talking about evangelism, something else that we inevitably feel guilty about when we talk about it, right? Because we think, well, I don't do that enough either. And we begin to experience guilt and shame. And I don't think that Paul puts this here in his letter to then heap guilt and shame upon the Colossians. Or for us this morning. we got to remember where this comes from. Paul has, has, has told them and us over and over again that our, our identity is now found in Christ. Our, our union with Him. And he's, he's saying that prayer... And the evangelism that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, this should be a natural outworking of who you now are. You are now united with Christ. It should only be natural. It is, in fact, now only natural that you should want to pray to Him, that you should want to spend time with Him in that way, that you should talk with your Father in heaven regularly because that is who you now are, that you should want to share the incredible good news of the gospel because of who you now are. This is what it looks like, he's saying. He's continuing to help us to understand what does it look like now to walk as those who are united with Christ? Well, it means to pray regularly. It means, it means to share the gospel. That's part of now who you are, so now live like it. So, how do, how do we do this? What does it look like to pray steadfastly? He says first, be watchful in it. Be watchful. Pray, if you will, with your eyes open to all that's going on around you. Alert, first of all, to who you are in Christ. To your union with him, that it needs to start there, but also being alert on the watch, if you will, for the things that we should be actually praying for and petitioning God for, but also praying as, as Jesus told his disciples, do you remember what he told them on that night before? Watch and pray that you may not, what, enter into temptation. We should pray watchfully, looking out for temptation, looking out for those things that are going to draw us away from Him, and and finally, being watchful as those who are looking forward to Jesus coming back, to Jesus returning. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the hour nor the day. So we're encouraged as as we pray, to pray steadfastly, to to pray as those who are watchful. And finally, he says here, to, to pray with thanksgiving. Now, I have a feeling... If you're anything like me, that may be a part of your prayer life that is a little bit anemic. It's not as strong maybe as it should be. We we aren't people who maybe naturally give the thanksgiving um, that we should. You've probably heard that acrostic acts, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, a means by which we can kind of walk through our personal life and pray. And, And many of us use it, and it's very helpful 
okay? And we start out adoring God, and even there we begin to struggle, right? Because we just kind of have that same way, probably, that we, we start pretty much all of our prayers, and, and that's our way of adoring Him, and, and then we kind of fall up short, and so we move on to the next thing, because we don't know how else to praise Him and adore Him. Um, and so then we confess, and we're a little better at that, because we're pretty good at sinning, um, but we are less good at um, specifying our sins specifically, right? And we tend to kind of do our global thing and moving our way through confession. And then we get to Thanksgiving and we're almost throw our hands up in the air like, didn't I just do this a few minutes ago when I was adoring him? And we don't know quite what to be thankful for. Okay, thank you for my food. Thank you for my family. Thank you for all the stuff that you've given me. You know, and that's kind of, kind of what we do. And, and Paul wants... I think here are Thanksgiving to be much broader. In fact, Thanksgiving has been a big part of this letter to the Colossians that he's talked about. And in chapter 1, verse 3, do you remember what he said? We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray. Sorry, I should have read it right. We always thank God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, for when we pray for you. How was I missing that? I'm sorry. Uh, my, my brain's somewhere else, evidently. But what are we to be thankful for? For each other. We're to constantly pray, thanking God that, that He's giving us each other. That He's given us fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around us. We should be constantly thanking Him. But not just that, Ver, chapter 2, verse 7. Those rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Where does that thanksgiving come from? It comes from our union with him, being in him, being built up and rooted in him. We should be constantly thanking God for what he's done for us in the gospel, for our salvation, for the union that we have with him. That should be something that we are constantly coming to him thankful for But not just that, chapter 3, verse 17, one we've been using as our benediction, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're we're to constantly give thanksgiving. Whatever you do, give thanksgiving. As he said in Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. It's God's will for us to be thankful. And to be thankful even when things don't go the way that we want them to go. To be thankful even for the difficult things, the difficult trials that he may throw in our way. To pray to God with thanksgiving for them. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a little bit of a struggle, isn't it? To thank God for the trials that are coming our way. And yet, God says, Paul here tells us that we are to be thankful despite circumstances. Constantly thankful to God for all the ways that he is leading us. So Paul calls us to be thankful this morning in our prayers. So we we work through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then that last one, supplication, right? This is the one where we get a little bit better, right? Because maybe many of us have our lists or or we have a laundry, certainly we have a laundry list of things that we want God to do for our lives. Um, and maybe for some of the people in our lives. Um, So we get a little bit better at this. At least we spend a lot more time on it. Um, And those things that we pray for are mostly good things and things that we should be praying for. But one of the things that Paul does in this passage is he wants to expand our supplication. He wants to expand the things that you and I pray for. You see what he says? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door 
for the word. He says, pray for me. You know, here's Paul, he's in prison. And he says, would you pray for me that God would open doors so that I can share the gospel? And this is important because it tells us a lot about who opens doors, doesn't it? That God's the one who opens doors. Remember back to Jonathan Edwards, who is it that opened those doors for those people at Inwill whenever they responded positively to that sermon that others hadn't responded so positively to? It's because God opened the door. And so we, we should pray and, and pray expectantly that when we got, ask God to open doors that others would know Jesus, we, could, we should pray expectantly that he is going to open those doors, okay? And conversely, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we find doors not being opened for us and we haven't been praying. Sometimes you might look, why, why, do, why do I not have more opportunities to share the gospel, Why doesn't that happen more for me? Well, how much time have we really been spending praying for it? We need to pray that God would give those opportunities to us, those opportunities that those doors would be open so that we could declare, as Paul says, the mystery of Christ to others. This incredible and glorious gift that you and I have received, the union that we have, that we can share that incredible good news with others. And that when we share it, we would do so, as Paul says, with great clarity, that I may be clear, which is how I ought to speak. He says, will you pray for me that God will open doors so that I can proclaim Christ, and that when I proclaim Christ, I'll proclaim it clearly. Do you pray for that? We should be. Do you, do you, do you pray for your pastors? Do you pray for your church that, that God would speak clearly through us? Do you pray for each other that God would speak clearly through each of you as you have opportunities to proclaim the mystery of Christ? We should be praying also not just for ourselves. It's not a selfish thing. It's not a a Fairhill church thing either. We should be praying for the other churches around us, that the same would be happening there. And we should expect that if we start praying this way, that doors will be opened and that great things will happen. I encourage you to pray for the spread of the gospel, to pray that Holy Spirit would come down and convict sinners in mighty ways and bring them to the good news of Jesus. Now, there's an important note that we need to make uh, that Paul said. He, He says, on account of which I am in prison. Did you catch that? I mean, you understand where Paul is whenever he's praying this. He doesn't pray, you know, if you and I were asking for prayer, if we were in prison, and we were asking for prayer requests, we probably, our first prayer request would be that we get out. Paul's first prayer request is, will you pray that God will use this so that I can share the gospel with others? That's his concern. And and we're pretty confident that this book of Colossians was written before the book of Philippians, okay? And in the book of Philippians, Paul says this. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Do you see what's going on here? Now, whether it was the the prayers of the people at Colossae or not, we're not told, 
But surely it is the prayers of somebody who had been praying for Paul that doors would be opened, and doors were opened while he was in prison so that he could share the good news of Jesus with the imperial guard. So you and I, we need to to begin to pray. You see, it's not all about methods. It's not all about being trendy or, or, or being culturally relevant. Those things are important. We need to think through our methods, okay? And Paul's going to take us there next. But we need to start in the right place. We need to start on our knees. And, and we shouldn't expect for our sharing the gospel to go anywhere if we don't start on our knees, okay? So I encourage us to do that. You can join us. We, we, we do that on a weekly basis, Um, here on Wednesday mornings, and you're welcome to join us. Praying that God would open doors to our community so that the lost might know him. There's a wonderful place at the beginning of the book, The Hobbit, which that's the precursor to The Lord of the Rings. Um, Gandalf, who's the wizard, he has come to Bilbo. Bilbo is the one who eventually finds the ring. He's come to Bilbo to invite him on a journey. And I want us to just listen into their conversation real quick. Gandalf says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure that I'm arranging. And it's very difficult to find anyone. And Bilbo responds, I should think so. In these parts, we are plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. Hobbits don't like to leave the Shire. They don't want adventures. They're uncomfortable. They're nasty little things. And why does he say? Because they make you late for dinner. You see, for a a hobbit's very concerned, where is second dinner going to come from? And and if I go on some adventure, I I may not get second dinner. And I feel too often we as Christians may act a lot like hobbits. And we don't want to leave the shire. We don't want to leave that which is comfortable. We're afraid we're going to miss our second dinner. And so we don't go. But Paul calls us to, doesn't he? Verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Literally, in wisdom, walk where? Toward, okay? Toward outsiders. Walk towards them. We're not allowed to just withdraw. We must walk towards those who don't know the good news that we do. And what does it look like to walk? He's already told us. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And then what does it look like to walk in him? Well, he's told us that too in chapter 3. He says, put on then, as God chosen ones, holy and beloved, what are we to do? What are we, how do we walk? Compat- with compassionate hearts, with kindness, with humility, with meekness, and with patience. And then, above all these, put on love. That's what it looks like to walk towards the outside world. That's how we should walk towards them. Ultimately, with love, as as we go and walk out into the world, as we leave the Shire, and we go as ones with wisdom, it's not all about building up knowledge, but using the, the incredible good news of Jesus that's worked its way into our hearts to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus And we're to make, as Paul says, the best use of time. Do you ever even think about that with regards to walking towards outsiders, of making the best use of time? It means we actually have to think about it a little bit and think about how we are actually doing that and how that's actually playing its way out in our life. 
And so as we walk towards outsiders, Paul says, let your speech, let your speech always be gracious. We got to remember that the gospel, in a way, by its very nature, is offensive to the world. Paul said it in, in 1 Corinthians 1, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay? We should be careful then, as we take the gospel, as we walk with the gospel, that we not heap offense. You see, to the world, it's already going against their very nature of them trying to save themselves, of them trying to rescue themselves. And we go to them, no, you can't do it. You've got to look to the cross. It's, it's by its very nature offense. And so we take it and we take and we speak that incredible truth, but we take that incredible truth and we speak it in love. Truth in love. And that doesn't mean that you get by with saying, well, I'm telling the person the truth and that's how I'm loving them. That, that, that's not the intention whenever um, Paul says that in Ephesians. His intention is that we, as we take that incredible truth, the incredible truth of the gospel, that we take it in love, the way that we do it, that we are gracious with our speech, but not just gracious with our speech, but that that speech is seasoned with salt. I'm sure many of us, most of us, all of us have probably seen a food cooking show or two, and the ones, you know, inevitably, they, they bring the, the, the food, you know, before the judges, and inevitably, there's at least one, if not more of them, who gets criticized for one thing, and it always happens, that it's under or oversalted, Right? You know, it's like with or without salt, so dies a dish. It's what makes food, it's part of what helps make food tasty to us, okay? And so, in a sense, we as Christians need to learn to be salty, but not salty in the sense of a sailor, um, salty in the sense of food being made tasty, okay? We, we, should, we should be winsome in our speech as we talk to the world Okay, and so Paul says, why do you do this? Why does your speech need to be gracious? Why does it need to be seasoned with salt? He says this, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, it's, he doesn't say it's so that you'll know to go tell the people how they're wrong. He says, go and be gracious. Live, live and speak graciously in front of people so that you'll have the opportunity to answer their questions, so that you'll have the opportunity to speak to them about the good news of Jesus. Okay, you, you see, on, if you go to our website right now, right, right on, the, on the front page, one of the big things kind of in bold on our front page, it says, to help you find true joy. To help you find true joy. And you might wonder, why in the world would we put that on the front of our website? And it's because that's, in a sense, what we need to be about. As we go into the world, we need to understand everybody. Everybody is looking for true joy. Everybody is looking for joy. Everybody's looking for happiness. Everybody is looking for completeness. And they keep looking in all of these things of the world. Okay? My, my family has been looking to true joy and the hope of true joy in getting a puppy. Okay? And so we just got a puppy two days ago. And so our family, as you can now imagine, we have complete joy now. Our joy is now complete. I mean, for our kids, you would have thought, you know, this is, you know, everything is going to be perfect now that we have a puppy. 
And so what happens on the, even on the, the very first evening with the puppy, we have kids upset because, oh, the puppy likes them more than they like me. They're, you know, it's just, you know it's, it's just the tension immediately begins, right? And, and is that puppy bringing us great joy? Of course. But true joy? Absolutely not. It's bringing us moments of it. But only moments And we need to be pushing and and pointing people to the true joy that is found in Jesus and Him only, not the things of this world. And and you and I, we we keep doing this too, right? We keep struggling with looking to other things to find real completeness, real happiness, real joy. And we need to point ourselves back and constantly be reminded that it's ultimately only going to be found in Jesus. So, what do we do with this? We're, we're, we're called to, to pray that doors would be opened. And, and then we're called to walk towards the lost. And one of the things, uh, just a moment of kind of really kind of getting to it, of applying it, is what does it look like to walk towards outsiders in your life? Think of your, maybe your, your social media page, okay, for those of you who are involved in it. Um, you look, think of your social media page. If you put it up on the screen... If, if we're all to read it, does to someone on the outside, to an outsider, are you walking in wisdom towards them through the things that are posted there? Okay? Does it show forth gracious speech? Is it seasoned with salt? You see, that's a great place where, where that's very outward facing, right? The whole world, in a sense, can see it. And is it a place, is it a place where we are walking in wisdom towards outsiders? What about in your workplace? As you go to your workplace, do you find the same things? Are you walking towards those outsiders in your workplace in wisdom, gracious in your speech, seasoned with salt, waiting for the opportunities that you might have to share true joy? the true joy that's found in Christ with them. It's difficult, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to start off with prayer. We need to start on our knees, okay? And we're called to then walk towards the lost with gracious speech, with, with language that's, that's, that's seasoned with salt so that we're ready to respond to them. And then there's one last point. And before you get worried, it's very, very brief, even though it covers verses 7 through 18. And that is this. Paul tends to end his letters in a similar fashion, where he gives thanks for all of these people, okay? Tons of people who've, who've been a part of his ministry. And he does that here, and we, we heard it read a few minutes ago, right? And what I want us to hear here is that just as we're called to pray for open doors, and as we're called to walk towards the lost, we need to understand that this is not a solitary act, okay? This isn't something that we do alone or on our own. I mean, here we have the Apostle Paul, and basically what he's saying, you know, he's, he's the mouthpiece in many ways. If there's anybody who could walk alone, it might be the Apostle Paul, and he doesn't. He has all of these people around him. Even, even as he's in prison, he has these people around him. And he needs them. He, he can't do it on his own. 
It's not a solitary act. It's not a solitary act to take the gospel forward. We need each other in this process just as Paul needed his fellow servants as he speaks about in this part of the passage. As he, as he speaks about those who brought a great comfort to him and those who are part of his ministry, he needed people to go on with him on his missionary journeys. He didn't go by himself. He needed others. And you and I, we need others too. This taking the gospel out, it's not a solitary act. That doesn't mean that we don't do it in our own individual places in our life. That's not what I'm saying. But it's a communal thing, and we should be praying for each other in that regard. Okay? If, if there's somebody that you're, you're, you're excited about opportunities to share the gospel with, you should have friends praying for that. And you should be praying for your friends in that regard. That doors would be open for them, that we should be praying those things for our church. So here's Paul, he's, as he ends his letter, as he kind of gives us the final implications of what it means that we're united to Christ. After he's dealt with our personal kind of life and our hearts, and he deals with our family life, he tells us, because you have this incredible union, because you have this incredible gift that's come to you in Jesus, You shouldn't be able to help. You shouldn't be able to help but share it. This is the very thing that you were made for. You were made to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with each other. It's part of your identity of who you are now. It's part of that new person that you are, that new creation that you are in Christ. And because that's who we are, we need to begin to not just race through our prayers and race through so that we can check off lists or to race through to pray all the important heal, healing type stuff that needs to go on for people with medical issues, praying for our kids, and, and those are all very important things. We need to not make sure that we don't skip out on, that we don't ignore the need for us to pray that doors would be opened so that Jesus' kingdom would grow so that more would come to know the Savior, more would be able to join us in that new heavens and new earth. And so, and so we, we don't just pray. We also then walk towards those who don't know Jesus. We shouldn't be content with staying in the shire. We must go out on this incredible, if you will, adventure that Jesus has before us of sharing the gospel so that his kingdom would grow, so that more would know the name of Jesus. And we do it together. It's an us thing, okay? It's not just a you thing. The whole burden of this is not put on your shoulders. It's put on our shoulders, do you believe it? Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, we confess that all too often we get so comfortable with our life and we get so hung up on 
our needs right now that we forget one of the most important things you have before us. That you have made us to be the heralds of your kingdom, sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Would you help us to start on our knees? And taking the time to pray for the lost, to pray that more would come to know you, to pray that doors would be opened in our own personal lives, for the lives in the lives of our friend, in the lives of our church, in the lives of churches around us. So that your kingdom would grow, that more would know Jesus, that more would be saved and rescued in the way that we are, that there might be more redeemed images of God. Would you help us as we walk towards, as we walk towards outsiders, that we would walk with great graciousness, that our words would be seasoned with salt, and that we would be truly ready to share the incredible hope that we have in Jesus. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.